You're listening to My Therapist Thinks, a modern mental health podcast. We're your hosts, Andrea Bozia and Mary Beth Samich. We are licensed therapists with a passion for making therapy accessible, relatable, and relevant to your life. Let's get started. Today, we're talking about love languages and not just touching on them, but really giving you a mini course on what exactly they are, how to identify your own love language and how you can use them to your advantage in strengthening your relationships and really your perceived level of satisfaction in those relationships. So occasionally I was telling Andrea, I'll be sitting with a client in session and they're sharing about how maybe their partner or their parent or their friend or someone in their life just doesn't get them or maybe isn't showing up for them, or maybe how they don't feel like any of the efforts that they're making in that relationship are good enough for this other person. And that is when I like to have the conversation about love languages. I think it's a great time because you can have the best intentions in a relationship and be trying your best to love and impress and support and to reach that other person. And at the same time, you can completely just miss the mark without this understanding of love languages. Yes, absolutely. I think about this kind of like ships passing in the night, that idea that the ships are there, but they can't see each other. So these like acts of, thanks, thanks. Yeah, because like these acts of love are there, like the intention of loving somebody else is likely there, but they're not being registered by the other person. So I find that when I have someone in session as well, and they're expressing this frustration about their partner or friend, not liking or showing them love in a way that they understand, I often ask them to reflect on how they know that they are being loved, right? And then after some discussion, they're able to pinpoint specific things that they individually interpret as love and care. And then they realize like, oh, maybe that's, not the same thing as my partner. And these emotional modes of expression typically fall into five categories known as the love languages. Right. So let's give listeners a little history about where love languages even come from. And they were first introduced by marriage counselor, Gary Chapman, um, in his book, The Five Love Languages. So this is something you can easily buy on Amazon, Target, wherever, Barnes and Noble. And his goal was to provide an easy way to generate conversation and connection around meeting each other's needs and doing it well. And I mean, each different love language encompasses a specific way a person may need to express or even receive love. Yeah. And what I love about his approach is that it's a really simple idea that we can, you know, categorize love in these five different um, ways but it can really have a profound effect on how people relate to one another. Mm -hmm, Definitely. So what are they, right? Because when I do bring up the conversation in session, people are like, I've heard of that, but I can't really pinpoint like what the five are. Maybe they are familiar with like one or two of them. So let's just start. Oh, oh, let me tell you a quick. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is actually super important um, because the first time I brought this up with my husband actually about like talking about the five love languages and like what they are. He was like, Oh no, I know what those are. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's like French and Italian and Latin. And I was oh my like, gosh. I literally, yeah, I paused and I was like, Oh no, no, no. You're talking about romance languages. So I just want to like, for anyone who had that in mind, <laughs> 
two different things, right? So just the way in which we express love. That's what they mean by love languages. That is so funny. So I feel like I kind of had a personal story too with this. Um, One of my best friends growing up, her grandmother was actually involved in the writing of this book. That's awesome. Yeah. So I feel like her mom especially was always talking about love languages. So I was very familiar with them even when I was younger. So the five, getting back to that, are acts of service, quality time, physical touch, words of affirmation, and gifts. And we'll get into each one a little bit more so you have more of an understanding. But the most important consideration in considering your love language and understanding love languages in general is that we give what we understand receiving. So kind of like mull on that a little bit. We give what we understand receiving. So if my love language is gifts and I'm showering my partner with gifts and I believe I might believe that I'm loving them well. However, if their love language is physical touch, I am completely missing the mark and they may actually feel unloved. So I really need to understand, and it's my responsibility to understand what their love language is and cater to their love language in our relationship, not to my own or else like those ships in the night will completely miss each other and vice versa. If my partner's showering me with like cuddles and hugs and affection when I'm not a cuddler, but I'm dying for them to buy me flowers, then they're totally missing the mark. And this example made me laugh because my husband will assert that my need for cuddles is actually insatiable. (laughs) We joke about it all the time. He's like, no, literally, like I can't fill that need. It's insatiable. (laughs) So I'm like, yeah, sorry. It's kind of true. (laughs) You know what? You find ways to fill that need through like volunteering by like um, rescuing puppies and getting hugs and cuddles in that way too. There you go. Yeah, totally. I, he's off the hook. So let's talk a bit about each love language here so that we can really help people identify what love language they connect with the most. And just so you know, it's possible to have more than one love language. Typically, we have one that's like the primary, but it's okay if you resonate with more than one of these. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'll start with acts of service. And this is basically when a person does tasks for you. So folding the laundry, taking out the trash, dishes, packing the car for a long road trip of like heavy things. And sometimes you have to play Tetris when you do that. Um, Basically anything you determine will help make your life easier. So the important piece of this is that it refers to acts beyond expectation. So one thing that can sometimes get confused is like, if you have an agreement that your spouse does the dishes and you do the laundry, your spouse doing the dishes doesn't necessarily qualify as them going above and beyond to show you love in this way, because you already had this mutual agreement that they were going to do that anyway. So I want you to think more of like surprises. Maybe you come outside and find that they wash your car for you. And it's that spontaneity when it comes to the acts of service that can be really meaningful and really make someone feel loved. Great example. I think that's so important, knowing that it's beyond the expectation. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So then let's get into quality time, one of my favorites. Uh, This is all about companionship. And, And Chapman talks about this in greater detail in his book, but Ultimately, he notes that there's an importance for like creating a real connection with practicing undivided attention. And we can do that through eye contact and active listening. Mm -hmm. 
And I think it's so important to highlight that because quality time does not mean you're just like sitting next to each other. Yeah. So (laughs) let's break that down a little bit more. So I often hear people complaining like, you know, I'm spending a lot of time with my partner, but I just don't feel like we're connecting. And I'm like, was it quality time? And they're like, yeah, I think. And then we start talking about it more and we realize, oh, actually I'm sitting next to my partner while my partner's playing video games and I'm just staring blankly at the screen or at my phone or both people are texting each other. I see this a lot. Like when people go out to dinner, like they're at the same table, but they're actually having completely different conversations with other people on their phones. Yeah. I would call that time together, not quality time. Like quality time is that engaged listening, eye contact. Like, you know, when my husband and I are at dinner and we're like on our phones, like we'll just kind of like stare at each other and wait. (laughs) And then (laughs) like the message is received. It's like, okay, no, let's like tune in, put our phones down and really connect. Right. And I think, you know, it's wonderful to even like watch TV together. Like maybe that's a thing that you both need at the end of the day where you're just like, oh, we're checking out. That's wonderful, but it doesn't necessarily fall into the realm of quality time because there needs to be a level of connecting to the other person which typically doesn't happen if you're both looking at a screen, right? Um, This doesn't have to last forever. It could be 10 minutes, 20 minutes. That's it. An example of this that I like to practice a lot is taking walks. Like in the evening, my husband and I will take a walk with our dogs around the neighborhood and it takes us about 25 minutes to do so. And it's just an awesome opportunity to put away the electronics and to talk about our days and to look at nature and just be together without other distractions. That's perfect. All right. So now let's go on to physical touch. So this this is literally body contact. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. So pretty much anything like back rubs, holding hands, cuddling, hugging, Yeah, anything of that sort. Right. And I don't think it necessarily means PDA. For some people, they're like, oh, no, my love language isn't, you know, physical touch because I don't like doing that in public. It has nothing to do about being in public. I mean, you're welcome to do it in public, but (laughs) it's more so how you feel when you're making physical contact with the other person? Do you like to be close to the other person? Like even with the example of quality time, like when you're sitting on the couch, do you find yourself sitting closer to your partner and maybe your legs touching, right? So this is a way that people can meet their physical touch need. I do want to point out though, that having worked with a lot of different men in particular about with love languages, a lot of them tend to gravitate to say like, oh yeah, I'm a physical touch type of guy because they like sex, Mm -hmm. right? Sex is important and sex can be great, okay? But just because you enjoy sex with your partner and that's a way that you show them intimacy and love and care does not mean that that is your primary love language. Mm -hmm. Because with this physical touch, it's including non-sexual touch. So if you love sex, great, but along with the fact that you're also enjoying hand-holding, back rubs, being close to the other person, that closeness. Yeah, that's a great point. I've seen a lot of physical touch people um, really struggling during COVID and quarantine and just lacking that physical connection with other people and giving them hugs, even like handshakes, something as simple as that. It's just physical touch is really important. And I just want to make a disclaimer, like 
physical touch with liking sex can also include women. I just like made an example of men. Women like sex too, guys. So yeah. Totally. Um, yes. <laughs> put that out there. So I then let's- that's a good point though, because I think men get pegged as physical touch way more often than women. And maybe because of that stereotype there. Yeah. Or maybe they feel like they have to say, you know, I'm physical touch. I'm a man. I like sex. My testosterone is high, whatever that is. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, you know, oftentimes the hormones are talking, mm-hmm. right? They're the ones kind of really pressing. But ultimately with this one, we want to just make sure that if you feel that you're someone that leans towards physical touch, be mindful of it, not just being sexual. Right. Yeah. So then that brings us to our fourth love language, which is words of affirmation. So that's when you're verbally acknowledged through encouragement and appreciation. So some examples of that might be telling someone like, you did that so well, or I noticed you cleaned the house. Thank you. Or I see you working so hard. Yeah. Lots of validation, maybe some empathy, definitely a lot of appreciation. Mm-hmm. And Chapman talks about this as well, that the object of love is not getting something you want, but doing something for the well-being of the one that you love. So what he's communicating here is that the words that you are using are not intended to manipulate the person, but to really just point out what you observe and what you recognize in the other person and highlighting that with care and compassion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, when I think about that quote, like doing something for the well-being of the one that you love, I think this could apply to almost all of the love languages. Just that idea that it's it's really for the well-being of the one you love. It's not for yourself. Yes. And sometimes with the words of affirmation one, I can... I can see it labeled negatively as like someone's like digging for compliments. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, why do I have to stroke this person's ego? Right. Yeah. But it's really not about that. It's not about the ego as much as it is serving this person's need of being seen and heard and validated. Totally. Yeah. And the same goes for the last love language, which I'll talk about bit about, and that's gifts or receiving gifts, which is pretty self-explanatory, but can sometimes be really, I mean, misconstrued as selfish or even materialistic. And I really want to make the point that receiving gifts does not necessarily mean that those gifts need to be grand or expensive. Like they don't need to be designer bags and vacations and crazy expensive things. They can be extremely simple. So for example, let's say your partner stops at a gas station to get gas and grabs your favorite candy and surprises you with it, or picks you a flower like out of a garden and hands it to you. Those are things, I mean, that are very low cost or often free. My personal love languages are actually gifts and words of affirmation, and both of which kind of get a bad rep sometimes. <laughs> so for me, um, the thing that I treasure the most are handwritten cards or letters. So that's what I ask for like every Christmas. I'm not asking, I'm not even asking for like something super nice and expensive for my husband. I'm like, write me a letter. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And that is the perfect way to make me feel loved and appreciated. And I even have like boxes of cards and letters that people have written me like since high school because I treasure them so much. Yeah, that's a letter is a gift to me and is so special and really helps me feel loved and appreciated. 
That's so sweet. Very sentimental. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it really is. And I think the whole process of giving or receiving a gift is an act of love. Like you're thinking about the partner and what they may like, and then you're going through the process of choosing or creating this gift. And then you get the act of giving that gift to them or receiving that gift. So it's so much more beyond the material. Mm-hmm, definitely. And I think as you can see, as we've been kind of talking through each of these five love languages, identifying your own and that of your partner is pretty important. So maybe just touching upon some ways to help you do that if you're still unsure. I mean, first try determining which love languages definitely don't resonate with you. Like maybe you're not a hugger or gifts, receiving gifts makes you like totally uncomfortable, but maybe you feel loved and appreciated when you come home and your partner has cleaned up the house. Then that might indicate that you're definitely not gifts and you're definitely not physical touch, but that you are maybe acts of service. So that, and then it's also really helpful to consider your values and to tune into that a bit. Um, for instance, if like community or togetherness is a major value of yours, then maybe you're a quality time person. And if you're more introverted, maybe that doesn't resonate with you. But the cool thing about love languages is that every individual is totally unique. They might have a combination that is very unique to them of love languages that they resonate with. And really, you get to determine for yourself what feels best and how you prefer to be loved and loved well. Yes, I love that. <laughs> and that's, that's very important. Step one, become aware of the way that you receive and interpret love. Mm -hmm. And then it's important to figure out your partner or friends or whoever's love language, right? So first, a way to do this is probably to have a conversation about it. Yeah, share this podcast with them and then be like, let's talk about it. <laughs> Yes, please do that. And there are a lot of activities that can make this fun as well. So you can even go on Google and type in love languages quiz and a bunch of different love languages that are based off the Chapman work will pop up. And they can be, you know, from 10 questions to 30 questions and you and your partner can fill that out and then get the result and say like, oh, look at this. We have the same love language or we have different love languages. And we're just kind of giving the opportunity to acknowledge that there are different ways that we express love and that we receive love. Mm -hmm. And I think doing this too comes back to normalizing the idea that love is a choice and not just a feeling. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> it takes work, honestly. It's not this passive thing. Yes. And I remember when I was first introduced to the concept of love languages, it was really powerful to me because I realized that we can really lean into the fact that feeling loved and giving love is such a beautiful part of our human experience. And it's okay if it takes effort. There's nothing wrong with you or your partner if there are times in the relationship that it's a little bit more challenging to do certain things that make ourselves feel loved, right? And even if, you know, you feel like a really deep love and connection to your partner, sometimes you have to work at cultivating liking them, <laughs> right? So yes. like sometimes love languages are 
based even more at like, let's like each other. Let's like make this extra effort to like and appreciate each other, despite the fact that we know like we have a deep love for each other. Exactly. And that changes day to day, right? Yeah. (laughs) Again, step one to figuring out your partner's love language is to talk about it openly. You know, sometimes I do hear that people are nervous to address this topic head on with somebody and perhaps it's not appropriate to do so. So it might be that maybe you're in a work environment or you're talking to a friend and you don't necessarily want to bring up the language of love languages with them directly, but you do want to figure them out a little bit better. So I think it's appropriate to reflect on how the person often expresses love and care to others. So you can do that by just observing them. Does this person make thoughtful presents? Narrows it down to gifts. Is this a person that volunteers a lot? Or does tasks around the office or the house a lot might be acts of service then. Then secondly, I encourage you to pause and think about what they may have expressed to you in the past about which needs are not being met. Mm, Good point. So like typically, if you're not dating a therapist or what I would say is like an emotionally woke person. um, (laughs) I love that. (laughs) It's like you're probably not going to have conversations that you remember where the person's like, yeah, so my need for connection is not being met because we're not spending enough quality time together. And I'd appreciate it if we could plan a date for next week so we can carve out that time. Yeah. Our poor husbands, right? That we actually, we actually speak to them this way. (laughs) Yes. So if that's not the case for you, if that's not a conversation maybe that you've had in the past or you've heard someone express to you, I suggest thinking about times that your partner or the person in question complains. And that's okay. It's not complaining in a negative light, but just when they share things like, oh, why can't you take out the trash once in a while? Triggering, you know, acts of service or, oh, um, do you think I look pretty today? Or do you think I did a good job on this? Kind of highlighting, I'm seeking words of affirmation. If we start thinking about when our partner expresses frustration or disdain even, um, we can notice patterns there as well. And perhaps we can figure out what type of love language they fall into. Yes. And to do that, you can't become defensive (laughs) or else you're probably going to tune that out. But I think that your point really hits on like understanding and recognizing your own wants and needs in a relationship and being able to communicate them effectively before they come out as complaints or even resentment. And another thing I think about a lot that there's There's actually, and I believe there is some literature on this, but love languages in children and parents. So, and how helpful it can be for parents to understand their child's love language. So we're not even just talking about romantic relationships. We're also broadening this, right? To friendships, to parent-child dynamics. I always, I like to think about this, but my mother-in-law actually once, she read the five love languages and um, we were talking about it. And she's like, I'm really seeking to understand each of my grandchildren's different love languages so that like I can be really sure to love them well. And I just thought that was so cool, like that she was really intentionally putting in that time and effort to make sure she reached each different individual child in a way that, you know, really resonates with them. Having so much of a developmental children to child development background, 
really like let your child lead you in, in figuring this out. Don't assume that you know, because you could even maybe be projecting unknowingly or subconsciously onto them. And there are quizzes that kids can take, love language quizzes um, based off Gary Chapman's work, if, if your child's old enough to do that. And I encourage you to share your own love language with them as well, because there are ways that they can love you too. Like if you're a gifts person, maybe they, you know, paint you a picture and that makes you feel like warm and fuzzy. (laughs) Um, So yeah, just can, I guess this is all to say, consider it in different relationships that are not just solely your romantic relationships. Absolutely. And I think with kids too, it's important to note that their love language can often change from adolescence to being a teenager and then a young adult. I see that a lot with like as younger children, like they typically love receiving gifts. They feel really like seen when they get a gift that they enjoy. But then later on when they're on a sports team, they really want mom, dad, or whatever caregiver to show up for the games, right? To be present. So that's a different gift, you know? So being able to change within the dynamic of the child's development. Yeah. Great point. So then the advantages of knowing this information and encouraging yourself to practice it is that you can start to feel more connected not only to yourself, but to your partner or your child or your friends. Yeah, it really increases your emotional awareness in your relationships too. And it's a way to really practice being even less egocentric, right? Like focusing on another person, the other person in that relationship and really meeting their need. And then you may find that naturally they begin to start meeting yours because kind of like their metaphorical bucket is full. And so they have some to give or more to give. Absolutely. And ultimately, we're rarely going to have the same love language as others in our lives. But that's why relationships are intentional and take work and thoughtfulness. So we encourage you to get curious about your individual love language, as well as the love languages of others in your life who are important to you. It can make all the difference in the health and success of your relationships. Thank you for inviting us into your day. We hope you enjoyed the information shared in this episode. As a reminder, this podcast is not a substitute for therapy. We encourage you to reach out to a licensed mental health professional to support you in continued growth. Be sure to subscribe to be the first to know when new episodes launch, to rate and review us on iTunes, and follow us on Instagram at ABC Therapy and at Your Journey Through.